ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولهم بعد in a hadith reported in both Bukhari and Muslim from our mother Aisha radiallahu anha. It's a famous hadith. I'm sure we have all heard this hadith before. And today we're going to extract some benefits from it, inshallah ta'ala. Our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man ahabba liqa'allahi ahabba allahu liqa'ahu. Wa man kariha liqa'allahi kariha allahu liqa'ahu. Whoever loves to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah loves to meet him. And whoever hates to meet Allah, Allah hates to meet him. Now before we move on, let's derive some benefits from this one phrase. Firstly, we see that our Prophet ﷺ is engaging in some very, very deep conversation with our mother Aisha. This is a very profound hadith. Whoever loves meeting Allah, Allah loves to meet him. Whoever hates meeting Allah, Allah does not like to meet him. This is not just, you know, chit-chat. This is a hadith that our ulama have spent hours, pages and pages. And who is our Prophet I'm talking with? His wife Aisha. This shows us that a part of our conversations with our intimate families must also be spiritual. It's not just chit-chat and just having a conversation. No, your family deserves, most importantly than anybody else, to have their iman increased. That you advise them. Protect yourselves and your families. All too often, the husbands put on this show of religiosity and being, mashallah, in the masjid. Soon as they go home, no mention of Allah and His Messenger, no hadith, no Quran. It's just chit chat and what happened, and chai and coffee and food and whatnot. Who deserves Islamic knowledge more than your own family? We see the conversations of our Prophet and our mother. Not that they didn't have regular conversations, but make sure that we include Islamic nasiha with our own families. Now, man ahabba liqa Allah ahabba liqa. Another benefit from this: everything begins with an internal thought in mind. Everything begins with a niyyah. Inna al amalu bin niyat. You begin with an internal frame of mind. Whoever loves to meet Allah, is love an action or is love an emotion? What is it? It's an emotion. Everything begins in the qalb. You have to begin everything with the right idea, the right concept, the right niyyah, the right paradigm. Man ahabba liqa Allah. Another benefit from this is that kama tadinu tudan. As you do, you shall receive. And I gave a whole lecture about this, I think a month or two ago, before Ramadan, in the, when we were in the gymnasium, right? I gave many examples from the Quran and Sunnah. The same you do unto others, it will be done unto you. If you love Allah, Allah will love you. If you love to meet Allah, Allah will love to meet you. If you're eager for Allah's reward, Allah is eager to give you His reward. If you give good thoughts about Allah, Allah will treat you in a good manner. I am as my servants think of me. I deal with my servants the way my servants think of me. 
So as you do unto others, it will be given back to you. So everything begins with an internal frame of mind with the niyyah, and the niyyah has to be good and positive, and the niyyah has to be linked with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Man ahabba liqa'allahi, ahabba Allahu liqa'ahu. We also affirm from this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves certain things and does not like other things. Hub and also kurh uh, uh, or hatred. These are characteristics that Allah has in a way that befits him. And every characteristic that occurs in the Quran and Sunnah, every adjective that is affirmed to Allah, we affirm it and we don't think too deeply. Allah loves certain things and Allah does not love other things and we let it be. We know the meaning of these words. We don't know how they exist when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whoever loves to meet Allah, Allah loves to meet him in return. Whoever hates to meet Allah, Allah hates to meet them. Now, look at Aisha's response anha, and we see this over and over again. I have given in this spot here so many lectures where the Sahaba themselves, they questioned, they challenged, they prodded. They didn't understand something and their iman and their bravery and their inquisitiveness and their trust in the mercy of the Prophet allowed them to ask very blunt questions, very frank questions. And frankly, some of our own scholars, if you were to ask them a similar genre of questions, they would become irritated. They would say, how dare you ask me? How dare you challenge? And the Prophet never did this. Sometimes he was asked very frank questions and the spirit of inquisitive inquiry is totally different than the spirit of rejection. Anybody who asks a question with the framework of wanting to learn more, with the framework of wanting to increase Iman, wanting to understand, no problem, we accept that question. Even the angels asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why would you create mankind, O Allah? Why would you do that, O Allah? Even the angels question the wisdom of Allah, but they're questioning not to challenge. That's kufr. You never question Allah to challenge. You're questioning to understand. You're questioning to increase your iman so Aisha radiallahu anha immediately something doesn't make sense to her and she says ya Rasulallah all of us we hate to die so here she is using her rational knowledge her lived experience to try to question this understanding she she's not challenging she's not rejecting but she's saying, this doesn't add up to my lived experience. What do you mean, O Messenger of Allah, that whoever loves to meet Allah? Everybody that I know doesn't like death. Kulluna nakrahul maut. How can somebody love to meet Allah when no human being embraces death? Now here we have an inquisitiveness that is natural. And there's nothing wrong with a natural inquisitiveness. Unfortunately, all too often, we stifle any question. We stifle any debate, especially amongst the next generation. And that's going to backlash. Parents, it's going to backlash. It might have worked for me and you back in the 80s. It's not going to work for this generation. You cannot stifle their inquisitiveness, their questioning. You have to meet them just like the Prophet to explain, understand, and you will be surprised at the level of maturity. But here Aisha is questioning, Ya Rasulullah, how can this, how can this understanding be correct? Something you have to explain to me. Every one of us hates to meet, hates death. Our Prophet said in one version, that's not what I meant. That's not what I'm intending here. That's not, you are taking something and I'm not saying that. And this is how he explained. He is not negating Aisha's lived experience. He affirms it. You're right. I agree with you. Nobody likes death. 
Every one of us, why don't we like death, by the way? Because death is the end of what we're familiar with. And everybody fears the unfamiliar, correct? If you're going to move to a new city, you're nervous. If you're going to get a new job, you walk in, you're nervous. How about leaving this dunya and entering the next? Of course, you're going to be nervous and scared. It's human nature, and it is not wrong. It's not un-Islamic to be worried about death, to be not happy about death. Kulluna nakrahul maut, as Aisha said. Every one of us, we hate to die. Why would we not when this is all that we've known? We've only known life. Why would we not be worried or terrified and leaving our loved ones here and whatnot? So the fear of death is normal and natural and Islamic in and of itself. There's no sin there. It's what you do with that fear, which is you motivate yourself to be a better person. Now, our Prophet affirmed Aisha's observed uh, uh, reality. Yes, you're right. I agree with you. Everybody loves death, but everybody hates death. Then he said, that's not what I'm intending though. That's not what I'm intending. You have taken something that I wasn't saying. Then he explained and he clarified. When the mu'min is given glad tidings of the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he loves to meet Allah. And when he loves to meet Allah, Allah loves to meet him. And when the rejecter is given the bad news of his punishment, he hates to meet Allah. And so Allah hates to meet him. Now this is a very, very profound reality. The Prophet ﷺ jumped over the awkward stage of death and he went to the first step of the barzakh. The actual stage of death, we're all worried to enter it, every one of us. Once we pass that initial millisecond of death, once the angel of death comes down, at that very sight, every human will be initially a little bit worried and terrified, except for the shaheed. The one person that is not going to have any fear is the shaheed. May Allah Azawajal give us the death of a shaheed. Other than that, every human being, as soon as they see the angel of death, there's going to be a bit of a terror. That's why the eyes go wide open. Our Prophet said this, right? When the eyes see the angel of death, they follow the soul as it leaves the body. This is the hadith, right? The soul, as it leaves the body, the eyes are going to follow it. So seeing the angel of death is going to be a shock. You're standing, you're sitting, and all of a sudden this entity, of course you're going to be terrified. That is reflected in our eyes. And the ruh leaves, it's reflected in our eyes. But a new world comes. We don't see it from the corpse. A new world comes. What is that world? What happens? Our Prophet said, when the ruh is about to be taken of the believer, he will find the angels as far as the eye can see. Beautiful faces with roh and rayhan, with, with the fragrances of Jannah. And they're welcoming him with salam, and they're welcoming him with his best names. So, you tell me, you see the angel, terror, then all of a sudden, beauty, peace, comfort, light. What's going to happen? Calm. And the angels will be calling out, oh beautiful soul, come. And the angels will be calling you by your names that were the most beloved, your names that your mothers and fathers called you by, your names that your best friends used, your most beloved names. And the angels will say, don't worry about what you've left behind. 
Don't worry about what you're going to face. And don't be scared about your family and relatives. We will take care of them and we'll take care of you. So, at that stage, is the mu'min going to be happy or not? Of course he's going to be happy. And that's what the Prophet ﷺ said. Once you get over that one millisecond of little bit of fear and trepidation, at that stage, you're happy to meet Allah. Allah is happy to meet you. So he allowed a bit of trepidation and fear for the actual stage of death. And the opposite, the one who the angels of punishment come, as the Prophet ﷺ said. As far as the eye can see, the angels of punishment. And they're stern, they're angry, they're terrifying to look at. And they're going to mention him and call him by his worst names. And he will be terrified looking at them. And they tell him what is awaiting him. Does he want to meet Allah? Obviously not. Now, what is the goal or purpose of telling us this hadith? How do we try our best to get the first set of angels and avert ourselves away from the second set of angels? That's the goal of this hadith. The goal of this hadith is to make us prepared to meet the correct set of angels. The goal of this hadith, we act our lives so that we want to meet Allah, so that the right angels are sent, so that Allah Azza wa wants to meet us. That's the goal of this hadith. And with this we conclude, we begin with إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ But what do we end with? الْعَمَالُ بِالْخَوَاتِيمِ The ending is that those niyyah has to be translated into good deeds and those deeds are what count and especially the deeds that you do at the end of your life. So you begin with niyyah, you begin with love and then it must be manifested in your mannerisms, in your worship, in your interactions. Your amal has to reflect that mahabba of Allah Azza wa Jal. Once your amal reflects that mahabba, once you are eager to meet Allah by doing the deeds that Allah loves, that's the only way you're going to show Allah's love. And how do you do those deeds? قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُعْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ you have to follow the one whom Allah loves. And that is the Prophet ﷺ. If you truly love Allah, follow the Prophet ﷺ, Allah will love you. So, if we are eager to meet Allah, loving Allah, we will follow the commandments of Allah and study the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah and follow in accordance with that. When we do so, then insha'Allah ta'ala, when the angel of death comes, he will be accompanied by all of those angels of mercy who will tell us the good news. We will be excited to meet Allah and Allah will be excited to meet us. And when we do the opposite, the opposite will happen. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have a genuine love of him and to allow that love to be manifested in our actions and we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to love us and to allow those whom he loves to love us and we ask Allah to love him and to love his reward and to be rewarded by seeing him in the next in the next life wa alhamdulillah rabbil alamin wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak abi muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in